Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sportsport Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. Good evening, sports fans. It's another uh, night of the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast. We're extremely excited here tonight. Uh, playoff football is less than 24 hours away, and uh, obviously uh, some great matchups that are going to be going on. We've got some uh, other news in the sports world that we'll cover here tonight, uh, but before we get to that, of course, the name of the show is Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast, so I'm Aaron. Alan is with us, uh, with us here, of course, as uh, well tonight. Uh, Alan, good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Really glad to be here. Really glad that uh, Super Bowl is on the way, not too far away from us. Very true. Very true. It's uh, always a fun time of the year uh, in the sports world. We're at the beginning of the beginning of the year, uh, as it is, anyways. You got the the playoff atmosphere. Obviously, some big games going on this weekend in what is now being dubbed as Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, we just finished the college football season this past Monday. Congratulations, as much as it pains me to say this, to the Georgia Bulldogs on their uh, first national title in 41 years. Um, playoff football for the next several weeks. Uh, we've got uh, uh, MLB lockout talk. We'll kind of go through that a little bit here. And uh, it's going to be a fun night. We've got some, some good things to talk about here. This is what it's all about, folks, uh, as we approach uh, the first game happening tomorrow, which will be at, uh, from what I'm seeing here, 430. That is the Las Vegas Raiders going to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. And then the second game tomorrow is New England at Buffalo. Both really good matchups on both sides. Uh, of course, there's some games Sunday. We'll talk a little bit more about those as well. Um, a lot of stuff to get to here tonight, um, as you probably see throughout the week if you follow our Facebook page, a lot of sports news that has, has appeared. Um, obviously, Monday was a big day for football because, as I mentioned there, the national championship for the college football level. It's also a bad day for several NFL coaches, as it is notoriously known after the final uh, game of the NFL season. Following Monday is always Black Monday, and we saw – uh, four or five guys get the pink slip. So we'll talk about our speculation on how that will go uh, as well here tonight. Uh, always fun to speculate where a coach might end up going next. Uh, Alan, let me ask you this. Uh, we saw four or five guys, as I mentioned before, get uh, get shown the door. Were, were there any surprises to you in any of those uh, announcements? Not too many surprises. You pretty much knew for the gist of it, the, pretty much who was going to be in a chopping block, like Nagy, I, I felt like he was pretty much going to be one of the guys, and he was. But the biggest surprise definitely was Brian Flores of the Dolphins. I was really shocked because the team started one and seven, and then they ended up the season nine and eight. They won what, seven, eight games in a row, mm-hmm. and the Dolphins were doing great things. I, I just definitely do think, just being in the third year, that I felt as if it was a premature firing. I was really surprised. I know that they didn't play quite as well, but overall, I would still give the Dolphins a B, B level, which is definitely improvement. And it came out that Brian Flores had some difficulties with uh, internal difficulties with 
the quarterback and things of that nature that came to light. But that was the biggest surprise to me was Brian Flores for the Dolphins being let go. How about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, that, that one surprised me too. Um, I, I think if they had uh, continued to play the way they started, one and seven, then firing him during the season would have been a non-surprise to me. But um, from the stories and the articles that I've read and some of the things that I've heard over the last three or four days, it really had nothing to do with his coaching. It was really the the way that the situation got with Tua that led to this shocking change. Now, I'll say this about the Miami Dolphins. I rooted for them, of course, this last uh, six, seven games. Really wanted to see them turn that page, turn that corner, and I think they're kind of in a similar situation. I don't want to sit here and put Super Bowl ex- uh, expectations on them right away. They're kind of in a position where, you know, making a change makes a sense, too, of, okay, we got this previous coach who got us as far as he can get us. Now we're a really good situation waiting to happen. So we bring in the right guy, the right, you know, players on the field. This could be a really, really good team in, in 2022. Um it's a very winnable division. Um, I mean, the Jets aren't going anywhere right now. I'm not going to sit here and say New England's going to just roll over. And it, same thing with Buffalo. But Miami's got a lot of talent right now. And we saw that in that seven or eight game winning streak that they had at the end of the season, second half of the season. So uh, whoever gets that job, I, I definitely think is going to um, be in a great position. They're, they're getting a really, really good situation. And, the latest uh, hot rumor is Tampa Bay defensive coordinator Todd Bowles uh, is right now the number one, uh, the number one uh, uh, likeliest candidate for that job. And Tampa might lose both their coordinators, both to the state of Florida, funny enough, because you've got, uh, as we've talked about three or four times already on this program, you've got Byron Lefwich, Jacksonville former quarterback, former first-round pick, uh, has a lot of ties to the Jacksonville area. He apparently is uh, either has or is getting ready to interview for that position. So we'll see how that goes. Um, the only other one that I really think was a bit of a surprise was Houston uh, making their change just because it was after one year. But apparently from, again, the articles I've read and some of the things I've heard, there was a lot of dysfunction in Houston. So um, funny enough, Brian Flores, former Miami coach, is rumored to be the top pick there right now. We'll see how that plays out after interviews take place. But um, the other uh, the other openings were, of course, the, the Giants, and they just never really have materialized under Joe Judge. Um, maybe the shock there was it was after two years. They didn't give him a third year. I don't see them improving that much from this year to next year at this point. So at that point, why why make a change? Denver, that was really not a shock to see them move on from uh, from Vic Fangio, their uh, head coach. And then, uh, see, there was another one in there somewhere. Oh, you mentioned, of course, the, the Bears. I think we saw the writing on the wall in Chicago probably at the midway point of the season. Um, see what I did there, Midway, Midway Airport in Chicago. So, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, <laughs> then, of course, Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings, that was kind of a – I'd say the writing was on the wall there too. Um, they've not – played up to their expectation level the last uh, two or three years. Had some good games, but they haven't put together quite what their expectations were overall. And look, it's been a division that's been dominated for the last three years by Green Bay. And 
I mean, teams are going to make some changes in order to get to where they want to go. So we'll see what happens. There should be some very interesting decisions that get made. And let's keep in mind, too, that of the teams that are still remaining in the playoffs right now, there still could be another coaching change or two that happens when some of these teams are out of the playoffs here after the first round. Yeah, definitely this could be some some movement. I definitely do think, uh, as you mentioned, Mike Zimmer, there was no surprise whatsoever. I think Mike Zimmer might have been actually one of the more obvious fires. I know they're in a tough division playing with uh, the Packers, but we have the talent they have with a Dalvin Cook, Jefferson, and you even had Kirk Cousins play a very good year for them to kind of have such a poor season towards the end of the year record-wise it was pretty much pretty much halfway through the season. You knew Mike Zimmer wasn't going to come back. Yeah, I think it was time for them to move on, and there's a lot of speculation, at, you know, whether Cousins will be back next year there in Minnesota. The, the Bears, they're kind of in a transition stage right now because you go back to last year, uh, they had uh, Mitch Trubisky, who was a former first-round pick himself as a quarterback. That played out to last year. It was – probably 2019 that we realized it wasn't really going to work out long term. So the bears, you know, planned for what the next best thing was going to be. And they took um, a quarterback again in the first round this past year. And so I would anticipate that the bears uh, at this point, you know, the, the, here's the thing about the bears. They're known for their defense. Think of all the great players that came through Chicago back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and, and, and so on. Um, hot name right now in Chicago is former defensive coordinator. Uh, actually, he's been a defensive coordinator in multiple places, and that is Leslie Frazier. So I think it would be a nice fit for him to end up in Chicago. Still going to be a tough division, regardless of how or who you bring in. You're going to run into Green Bay. And right now it's really a battle for who's the second-best team in that division. And right now, I mean, it's not Detroit. I think we can fairly make that point. Right now, I think Minnesota is really the second-best team in the uh, the NFC uh, North at this point. And it may be a little while before anybody catches up because, you know, the, the, the Packers are really well sta- uh, stacked right now. Um, you know, free agency and the draft can certainly change that on the other side. But, um, you know, the right coach, that can certainly change things drastically as well. And I say that because if you look at Green Bay, they moved on from Mike McCarthy at the end of the 2018 season, didn't have a very good year in 2018. And you look at what they've done the last three years, and uh, uh, Matt LaFleur, their head coach, is the winningest head coach in NFL history through his first three seasons. He's won 40 regular season games in that three-year stretch, which uh, is pretty remarkable considering some of the head coaches that are, you know, involved in the history of this league. So uh, kind of a neat thing to think about there. Yeah, I mean, definitely his resume is building and he's definitely doing big things there in Green Bay. They have a a great thing going on there in Green Bay, that's for sure. And and they're going to be a team that's be hard to knock off, but you, you definitely want to strive to at least getting in the playoffs. And I think that's what you need to do if you're the Vikings. Be competitive and try to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, 
there's an extra team in the playoffs in each uh, each conference now with the new the new uh, setup. And you know the interesting thing too is it used to be six teams from each conference would get in. You had four uh, division winners. You had two uh, wild card teams. The two top teams in each conference would get a first round buy. Now what they've done is they've done away with that. Top team in each conference gets a first round buy, and you have seven teams. So you have two extra teams overall. So overall you have instead of six in each, you have seven in each. So 14 total teams, essentially almost half the league gets into the playoffs. Um, it's going to be very interesting to, to see how this all plays out. I think these matchups are certainly um, very good. We'll start off with tomorrow's matchup. Uh, Las Vegas has been through a really strange year. He started off with John Gruden midway through the season. Uh, he goes seven or eight games in. He resigned. Um, we won't go into the whole email thing. It's just that that's no matter what reason it was that he left the team, with a team with that kind of expectations and all the money that they have put into that franchise um, to see a change suddenly occur, you know, that's a hard thing for a team to, to grasp and, and to, to be able to move on from and still play successful football. So they, they really gelled together as a team, had that great game last Sunday night to get into the playoffs, beating the Chargers. And now they're going to play against um, uh, a very young Cincinnati team. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Uh, but uh, before we do, want to bring on our uh, regular guest, um, Mr. Lou, of course, there from uh, from New York. And uh, Lou, hopefully you can hear me. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Uh, you're close. It's New Jersey, actually. But then again, <laughs> nobody gives a fantastic one in New Jersey anyway. The New York Giants, New York Jets, you know, they play in, in uh, you know, New Jersey, too. So I guess it's all the same. Yes. So. <laughs> Eight mile difference, yes. Although I did hear a rumor that, that the uh, Jets are looking to come back to New York. I don't know how true that is or not, but uh, there was a rumor that they were going to head back to the city. Interesting. Yeah. They're going to put back. That'd uh, be the first Chase, time in forty years. They're going to re, rebuild Chase Stadium and have them uh, play in the parking lot there. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to go there, but that 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 could be a possibility. <laughs> You know, we gotta we I gotta believe it. Game, actually. I remember that last game. <laughs> I do. Yep. But all no, jokes aside now, of course, now it's time to get down to the serious business with the playoffs. Yeah, you're right about that. And it's definitely a big time now. A lot of kind of like nervous energy to see what's gonna happen. What are your thoughts about sure. the teams that are before we get into the teams that you think are going to advance, what do you think about the teams that are into the playoffs who have made it this far? Well, I think some, of course, have a better chance than others. I don't see how that uh, Garoppolo is going to carry the 49ers uh, past Dallas on Sunday, so I think we can rule that out. I mean, he's decent, but he's going to be hes going to be no matchup against Dax. Forget it. Unless you want to go to Dwight Carter to come back, uh, no, I don't see it happening. Sorry. As for the Steelers, well, I think this is going to be Roethlisberger's last hurrah. I mean, they're, they are really, you know, behind the underdog department. They're, um, you know, because they're underdog by at least 20 points, and that doesn't give a lot of confidence. So I really don't see how Pittsburgh is going to win this game either. Yeah, and, and, and to your point, Lou, I really was disappointed on how – he was kind of saying it jokingly, but he was very yeah. kind of nonchalant and very negative about – 
his chance against the Chiefs. I don't know if he was doing that to maybe throw the Chiefs off and make the th- Chiefs kind of take their, yeah. their mind off of the game. But it, it was kind of enlightening that he was kind of like, you know, basically saying in a joking way, we have no chance of winning against the Chiefs. I don't and, think it's so far-fetched, to be honest with you. I, I don't think it's so far I don't think so far-fetched, yes, the Chiefs are a better team, but at the same token, it gets colder during the playoffs. Your your yeah. offense, no matter who you are, usually doesn't move as quickly. And the Steelers are predominantly a run game, which is better, and I feel, in cold weather. So I don't think that – I understand what he's saying, but I don't think they're as far out of it as he might think they are. Yeah. And the Chiefs Could still be a little bit of reverse psychology, too. Yeah, but, you know – I mean, if they're saying these these you know high uh, favored marks, you know for the Chiefs, that doesn't look too good. Doesn't look too good for the Steelers. So you say they have no chance, the Steelers? Very little. I gotta leave some room for margin for error, but the odds are really the odds I think are really against them. What are your thoughts, Aaron? Um, I think it's gonna really depend on how the first probably two series or two drives that Pittsburgh had. I think you'll be able to tell right off the bat whether they're in this game or not. Um, The one thing about Kansas City, and here's the thing, we talked about this probably in week five or six. They did not look like a conference winner the last two years, those first six weeks of the season. And they actually were probably one of the better teams in the second half of the year. Um, And, really down the stretch, they were actually in the top uh, three as far as power rankings were concerned. So um, you got to be really careful uh, against them because they can put points on the board really, really quickly. We saw what they did in the Super Bowl two years ago. Um, if I had to, to pick, it, it's, it's really a no-brainer in my mind that it, it, it's certainly Kansas City's game to lose. But, you know, again, Roethlisberger's been in the league for 18 years. He's won – couple Super Bowls. Uh, he's led a, a game-winning Super Bowl drive. It was actually here in Tampa um, 13 years ago now. So it's not a, out, of the, out of the question, but that would be the, the biggest upset in the playoffs, no question about it, if that were to happen. So you both are basically saying tomorrow is going to be Ben's last game as a Steeler and possibly his last game as an NFL quarterback. 100%. Not Sunday, Sunday. I'm sorry, Sunday. Not 99.98%. I got to leave some room for margin of error. <laughs> Why do? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, 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 think mean, he planned, I think he planned this was going to be his last year well before the year started. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just think, you know, think about how long he's been in the league. Think, think of the guys that were drafted in that same class with him sure. that are now out. Uh, we saw two years ago or three years ago, whatever it was, Eli retired. And then Philip Rivers retired after last season. So you really are you – know, you think about those guys. It doesn't seem like they were drafted that long ago, but it's been a long time. It has. Time yeah, escapes us, as you well know. Yeah. yeah. It has been a long time. You're right about that. you got to give him credit. He's been in the league for a very long time. So, yeah. Very long thought- and then uh, for the – so we have tomorrow's game, we have the Raiders versus the Bengals. Who do you guys think has a good shot Bengals. of winning that game? Bengals. 
I like that Cincinnati team a lot. Um, you know, they took Joe Burrow, obviously, as number one overall pick uh, basically two years ago now. Um, and then they did a great job this past year getting Jamari Chase. I mean, that, that's, those guys played with each other in college uh, at LSU and won a national championship. So it's, it's a neat thing to see how well they have uh, played. Obviously, first year didn't go so well for Burrow, which typically happens when you're a number one pick. You don't usually get to to um, reap the benefits quite as quickly as he has. And he had that, that injury that cost him some time last year too. So, um, But I, I, I just feel like Cincinnati is in a little bit better position versus uh, the Raiders. Home field advantage, I think, will play a little bit of a factor there. I'm not sure what the weather's like in Cincinnati tomorrow, but play in Vegas. They play in a closed-door environment, so it's going to be a lot different being outside, potentially cold weather. Um, and I just I, I feel like the uh, the Bengals, uh, they could go on a deep playoff run. They really could. They have a really solid team, a, a lot of uh, – a lot of underrated players on that on that team. Yeah, you're right about that. I mean, hey, congratulations to Jamar Chase. He got the rookie play of the year. He did get that. I mean, it's just a just a great situation for the Bengals. So um, I did see that was the best pick. Honestly, I think he other than uh, Kyle Pitts in Atlanta, I think uh, Jamari Chase was the best receiver taken in the draft this past year. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, unbelievable what he's been able to do. And, yeah, it's it's just um, – it's going to be a tough matchup for the Raiders and, and, and the Bengals. I, I think it's going to be a very good game. I'm going to go to live and say that I just think that the Raiders go through that game to just lose it right after. I just can't see it. I'm going to go with the, I'm gonna go with the Raiders. I think the Bengals are going to be a little nervous in this game. I think the Raiders yeah. still pumped up. <laughs> I'm going to go on a limit and say the Raiders going to win this game. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a close game, but I, I got uh, I got Cincinnati winning Bengals, this. Uh... Yeah. And then tomorrow's game also is the Patriots and the Bills. That's going to be a tough game. Who do you guys got on that? I have I had the Patriots, Blake Martin. Yeah, this one you could really go either way. Um I think this is going to be one of those games that's going to come down to who has the ball last and who stays away from throwing interceptions. Two young quarterbacks, obviously one's a rookie, and Mac Jones looked really solid down the stretch with the exception of maybe one or two games. Um, You know, I think if he forces a lot of passes, that's going to cause him some problems because he does have some accuracy issues, especially when he's uh, rushed. On the other side, you've got uh, a Buffalo team that hasn't quite been able to get over the hump, and a lot of people coming into this season picked them to be in the Super Bowl. So it is kind of one of those put-up-or-shut-up moments for Buffalo. I don't think their window is closed just yet, but you know they've, they've definitely got to definitely got to get past the first round, uh, if anything, at this point. Um, I'm going to say this just because the players, the core players, are a little bit more experienced. I think Buffalo has a slight advantage in this game. Yeah, this is going to be a tough matchup, but I, I, I am going to go with the Patriots on this one. And the reason why is because 
I just think the Patriots, when it comes down to playoffs, something just light to them. And I just feel as if they know how to win these big games. It's hard for me to count the Patriots out. I do think the Bills have a, a very solid offense. But I believe when these games get close, it comes down to coaching. And I feel as if the Patriots have that. So I'm going to go with the Patriots against the Bills. And I, I feel as if they're going to knock them out. What are your thoughts, I'm going to depend on. I was going to say real quickly, it all depends on how they play because you have those two matchups uh, right at the end of the season between these two teams. If Buffalo plays like they did in that first game where they, I think the Patriots threw the ball twice the entire game and looked like Buffalo had no idea what was going on, Buffalo shows up like that, they're going to lose. But if they play like they did in the second of the two games, then they've got a real, real chance to win. Go ahead, Lou. Lou, you still there? Slight margin. Yeah, I was just waiting for you to cue me in. Slight margin for <laughs> the Patriots. I don't think this is a one-sided game at all. These teams, you know, they know each other pretty well. They're pretty much evenly matched. So, uh, but still, I still take um, Patriots. Buffalo, I don't think, has it all has it all yet. And the Patriots, or as I call them, are still, well, them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So definitely, yep. So we got the Patriots, and um, that's going to be a big game. I uh, pretty much can almost guess what you guys are going to pick on this one here: the Eagles versus the Bucks in the Sunday game. As much as I can't stand them, I have to go with the Bucks anyway. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, what are your thoughts, think, Aaron? Yeah, it, it's it's hard to pick. It's not just the Bucks. It's hard to pick against Tom Brady. Um, even if you've got a lot of injuries, this is the, probably the most adversity that the Bucks have faced in a long time as far as being in contention, um, you know, other than those years where they shot themselves in their own foot many, many times uh, between their 2007 and then 2020 non-playoff years. Um, Tom Brady just seems to find a way to make the players around him better. He did it for years in New England receivers that probably we wouldn't even be talking about anymore had he not been the guy throwing the balls to them. So um, I like Philadelphia, you know, going forward. They're, again, a young team. you got Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Um, you know, they, they played really well at the end of the year to get into the playoffs, so they've had some battles. I think that if Tampa gets a little complacent, they, they could have some problems. But I, I just feel like the experience in, in Tampa is going to be too – way too much to overcome for Philadelphia. This isn't a rematch of the, the 2003 uh, NFC title game for, for sure uh, between these two teams. Uh, Tampa certainly has an upper hand. It's at home. Um, but again, um, you know, Tampa doesn't need to be complacent because they will have problems if they aren't. I think they need to go pedal to the metal to, to, to win this game. Yeah, you definitely don't want to overlook anybody in the playoffs. You're absolutely right. On paper, the Bucks should win this game. But on another thing is, you mentioned a great point, Aaron, injuries. I believe that Bucks do have a lot of adversity this time around to repeat, primarily because of the defense, I think. And they've also lost a lot of offensive players, too. But the injuries have really mounted up with them losing Chris Godwin. They lost a lot of players on defense. There's no A.B., this team is, you know, they still are a very good team, but they're not as healthy as you would like to see them. Having said this, I just think the playoffs, I don't, I don't 
I think the Eagles are going to bring a, a very good formidable game, but I just think at the end the Bucks are going to do what they need to do. It's a very good thing that it's at home. I have the Bucks winning this game against the Eagles in a close closer game than most people are going to probably think. I don't think so. I think it's going to be a massacre. <laughs> well, since you know we're Bucks fans, we're hoping you're right, but I, I just think. Uh, Jalen Hurt, I just think he's a very good quarterback, and I just think uh, he's very elusive, and I just think he's gonna he's gonna make it a, a game. I don't think it's gonna be a slam dunk of a game. I hope you're right, Lou, <laughs> but I do think it's gonna be a bit closer of a game. Wrong. Well, <laughs> let me um, let me throw this in there. Technically speaking, it won't matter because the winner of this matchup has to go up to Lambeau next weekend and play Green Bay and. I, I just I don't see either one of these teams beating Green Bay. Um, whoever gets past this round here, so I mean I don't know. Yeah. I, I just I think the Bucks are thinking the same thing that most people are going to be thinking. They have to get past the Eagles first, and then kind of play it from there. But uh, one of the things that was their strength, I will say, is the defensive end of the, of the ball that they had last year. I just feel as if the injuries are a bit much this year. The fact that they're playing in Lambeau is an advantage for the Packers, though. Yeah, it, it always should be. I mean, look, they, the last uh, 10, 12 years, home playoff games have not been their strength. But um, we'll talk about more uh, on that end of things here, obviously, as we know who we're playing against here next week. Uh, next game is uh, classic. NFC playoff matchup. These two teams have faced each other in the playoffs countless times. I mean, you go back to the 1980 uh, or 81 playoff game, the catch. Uh, of course, Dwight Clark from Joe Montana. You have the 49ers going on the road to Dallas to play the Cowboys. I think Dallas is definitely in a different universe than the 49ers are at this point. Uh, the only thing I would say is there's been times where Dak Prescott can look great during the regular season and then you get to the playoffs or a big game situation, and he chokes. So that could be a, a problem. Who, who, who do you guys have on this one? I still say I have the Cowboys to win this. I mean, Jimmy G doesn't seem like he's, you know, like the, the go-to. You know, they make a lot of big hype about him, but he's, you know, capable of choking in big games. So I, I really don't see how this is going to be any different. But it's a nice run, but forget it. Yeah, that's going to be a tough, tough game, this 49ers versus Cowboys matchup. I'm going to have to go with the 49ers on this one. I, on, just looking at the onset, you would think that the Cowboys right. would would go ahead and just knock him out. But the Cowboys, to, to Aaron's point, they do have that Achilles heel when it comes to the playoffs. And the 49ers, I like what I'm seeing with them, especially recently – David stepping up big and playing these big uh, playoff atmosphere type games. So I, I got the 49ers in a shocker beating the, the Cowboys. <sighs> okay. Yeah, I wouldn't go to Dallas anytime soon, uh, Alan. I'd, I'd probably just, you know, probably stay away from that. Uh, <laughs> that part of the state of Texas. Right, right. right. <laughs> um, we talked about this uh, a few minutes ago. Pittsburgh uh, going on the road to Kansas City. Um I'll stick with what I said before. I think Kansas City is clearly the favorite here. I think they could put up, put the game away in the first half. Um, anything you guys want to add to that? 
I don't know about the first half. I think maybe by like in the third quarter, I think they'll pull it out. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be you know, like that in the, in the first half. I think it's going to be a close game. I, I just think that when it gets down to it, I do believe the Chiefs are going to pull ahead and win this game. You know, if, if Ben was trying to do reverse psychology, like you said, then I'll give kudos for that. But if he was saying that and he was really believing somewhat of what he was saying, when you thought, when you think you lost against a team, you already lost, in my opinion. So I, I got the Chiefs winning this game. I do think it's gonna be a closer game than most people think, but I got the Chiefs ultimately pulling out and win this game. Yeah, yeah, I think we're all pretty much in agreement there. Um, I mentioned this at the top of the show. This is a Super Wild Card Weekend, so for the first time in NFL history, the first round of the playoffs includes a Monday night playoff game, which is so strange. I wish that would ever happen. That would happen. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really strange to see this on the schedule here. It'll be on ESPN and ABC. Um, it's an 815 game like a normal Monday night game would be, and we got the, the Cardinals, who at one point were the top team in the NFL. They were 8-0, I believe, at one point. Yeah, before, what happened? Before the Packers beat them. Um, and then you got the Rams, who finished really strong. Um, the, uh, the LA Rams finished 12-4, uh, and four, so they had basically the same record as Tampa Bay did. Um, this is a great game. This might be actually the best matchup in terms of, you know, two, two yeah. high-powered offenses, um, you know, big wide receivers on both sides. Uh, this this might be one of the more fun games to watch this entire weekend. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm excited about this game. I mean, these Thanks. playoff games are, are, are very competitive. I love the playoff weekend. Yeah, this is one of the most exciting times of the year because, you know, I think back to a year ago, uh, the playoffs, and, you know, there were some surprises in, in, in those playoff games last year. So it doesn't surprise me or it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, just this matchup, though. You know, you look at it on paper. I mean, both these teams play in an enclosed uh, stadium. Both of them have offenses that can put up a lot of points in a, in a hurry. Arizona, I feel like they have something to prove. The Rams were in the Super Bowl a couple of years back. Um, they kind of fell apart. They made a change of quarterback. They brought in Matthew Stafford. They uh, sent Goff to Detroit. Um, a lot of people had a lot of doubts about Arizona when they drafted Kyler Murray first overall a couple of years ago, and they brought in um, they brought in uh, Cliff, uh, Cliff Kingsbury as their head coach. A lot of people had a lot of doubts in that, and then they start off this year seven or eight and zero. They didn't hold on to that momentum, but they're in the playoffs, and they this could be a really scary team. Again, I as I mentioned, they can put a lot of points on the board really, really quick. They are a very fast-moving team. It's kind of an interesting pace they go at. I'm just not sure who to pick in this one. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with the uh, the Cardinals to win this game. I think um, I think the Rams. Going into the end of the year, have kind of faltered quite a bit. I, I see uh, Stafford making a lot of kind of bonehead mistakes. What has really kept them in the games is their solid defense. But I just think, combined with you making a couple of mistakes and the Cardinals having such a very good offense, I think the Cardinals are going to hold on and win this series, this game. It's not going to be a, be a very very close game, but I see the Cardinals coming out and, and winning the game. I think those things that those you know, the being nervous, the big game, 
I think they're going to get to Stafford, and I think the Cardinals are going to win this game. What are your thoughts? I'll make sure yeah. your thoughts, too. Yeah, I, I wait, 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 repeat that again. I, I just think that the big game is going to get to uh, Matthew Stafford. I just think he's going to make one oh, too probably, many mistakes, yeah. and I think the Cardinals yeah. going to end up winning the game. Who do you think is going to win this game? You know, I had the Cardinals at first thought, but now I'm not so sure. All right. What do you think? What do you think? think, I, think I think the Packers. I'm going to go with uh, Arizona in this one just because, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, they've got something to prove. You know, this is a team that all those those things that have been stacked up against them from a PR perspective, you know, drafting a quarterback first overall that nobody thought would even be at this level, Um, a coach that was moderately successful at the college level, has come up to the NFL level and actually done a pretty good job, at least in his second season in the, on the NFL. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. The Rams have a lot of things to prove too. They want to, you know, erase what happened to them in the Super Bowl a couple of years back. But I just feel like there's something about this Arizona team that they can put a lot of points on the board really quickly. I think Kyler Murray, because he's so mobile as a quarterback and, this is a guy who, once he decides he wants to run, too, you got to be really careful with him. He's almost kind of like a mini Michael Vick back there. He can, can really take off really quickly. Yeah. That can really wear out that Rams defense. And if you start playing this game where you've got a 7- to 10-point lead, wearing that defense down, you can really you can really take advantage of it really quickly. So. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great matchup and a – I think Kyler Murray is going to really step up big tomorrow on uh, Sunday. Actually, Monday. Monday's game. It's a Monday game, like mm-hmm. I said, and do big things and win that game. But I'm, I'm curious to hear what you got to uh, got going on for your show tomorrow, Lou. Well, let's see. Where do I begin? Of course, we're going to do the NFL playoffs with the uh, with the wild card uh, weekend, which is certainly good. Uh, we'll recap the college football playoff. And for those of you, uh, those uh, Georgia Harris out there. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. Uh, we'll look at the fired coaches of the uh, NFL because it was Black Monday recently, so, of course, some of them are going to get the axe. Most of the um, coaches that were fired was in agreement, but there was one, of course, where everybody was really upset about, and, of course, uh, if you've been paying attention, we know who that is. But there may be bad news for the, from the horizon, so we'll keep an eye on that. Um, we'll also cover some Olympic news because that's just around the corner, whether you believe that or not. Uh, we'll also do some NBA trades as well, because trades are already being made ahead of the deadline, which is about, oh, uh, sometime next month. Um, I, did come up, I did find some uh, more hockey news. Uh, there's a little bit of a dink, because there's a, a slight change with the um, hockey. There will be a U.S. team that's going to be involved in it, but it's not what you, but it's not what you think. So... A little hint, hint on that. So, um, if you got a chance between five and seven tomorrow, uh, call the number five one two five four three four six six two. Then again, five one two five four three four six six two. If I hear anything about the uh, parade with uh, the Georgia uh, team tomorrow, I'll bring it up too. I think I got some colleagues who are going to be at that parade tomorrow. Anyway, mm-hmm. we'll see. <laughs> 
Sounds great. So you got a great show there. So, yes, that's Saturday, 5 to 7, Eastern Standard Time Zone. The Enhanced Sports Show, Lou, will be there. It's 512-543-4662. And it's 512-543-4662. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to hear from you, Lou. Okay, I hope you guys can call in tomorrow. I can, I can sure use it. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. You are. Thank you for calling. Appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so I want to thank our great buddy Lou, one of our regular callers on the show. Really appreciate Lou. And, yeah, he brought up a great point about the uh, the NCAA championship game. What are your thoughts on, on Georgia winning? Well, I, I, I always like to, to start off with, uh, in case the, the fans out there don't realize this, um, most people know as a uh, Major League Baseball fan, I follow Atlanta uh, very, very closely. I do not like the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, I'm a Florida Gator at heart. Um, Got to congratulate Georgia, though, on their win. That's a very tough matchup to play um, against Alabama. The team has won six, five or six national titles in the last 10 years. Uh, Nick Saban and all the things he's done uh, in his career to win, uh, especially after 41 years and not winning, to, to, to finally win uh, is certainly an accomplishment. And that, that's a program that has really built from the ground up. Kirby Smart was the defensive coordinator at Alabama, um, and then in 2014 or 15 took over as a head coach there in Georgia, and he basically built that program from scratch. Um, he was in a little bit of uh, disarray when he took over. So i uh, got to congratulate them. I have a lot of Georgia Bulldog friends out there. Our good buddy Chip Carey, who we talked to uh, not quite a year ago now, is a uh, Georgia alum. And, um, you know, if he's listening here tonight, uh, congratulations to your alma mater on their uh, win. I didn't watch past the first half. It was actually kind of a boring first half of the game. It was 9-6, to six, Alabama leading at halftime. And what I have to give credit to Georgia on, their defense was stellar all year long. If you watch that first half, Alabama had some opportunities to, to get in the end zone, and they kept holding them to field goals, and they essentially held them to six field goals in the entire game. And then that pick six there at the end, that was the, the icing on top of the cake. And, um, you know, the rest is history, as they say. So both of these programs – now and I would expect to be right back in the same spot again a year from now. They're both well-coached, well-organized, well-staffed, uh, and the depth on both uh, both the offensive and defensive side of the football for both programs is among the best in college football. And um, those of you who don't know me, um, you know, we don't exactly have bios that we put out on our Facebook page. I followed Major League Baseball probably more than anything else, but college football is kind of my second, almost the top thing that I follow. And there's an envy uh, around the college football world of both of these programs. You could probably say the same thing about an Ohio State or a Clemson. Um, And there's maybe one or two other programs out there that you can look at and say, that's the model that I want to follow. Both these programs are, are basically at the top of that list right now. So I'm not sure. Did you watch uh, much of the game, or what were your thoughts on uh, how it turned out? I did watch actually the entire game. I I really – it was a great game. I did see – you know, one thing I think that hurt Alabama was losing their wide receiver real early in the game. Yeah, so that that really hurt them. To your point, Georgia's defense really stepped up. You know, they had Alabama kicking a lot of field goals throughout the whole game. 
And what was interesting is that at halftime, it was almost like Georgia made the right adjustments to win the game, whereas usually Nick Saban, he makes those adjustments at halftime, and it's lights out. And that was kind of ironic. But the Georgia did – did uh, they outplayed them. And the Heisman Trophy winner really did not have such a great game. He, I mean, he was a little nervous. I mean, I can understand it's a, it's a national televised game. It's big, big moment. You're expected to win. So Georgia just stuck to their game. They stuck to what they do best. They had their defense step up. And I felt as if the better team that played that day won the game. And that was Georgia. It was a very entertaining game. And um, I know that Alabama was, was heavy favorites to win the game. But I just felt as if the team that was uh, that played better was Georgia. And anytime you keep your opponent from in the end zone, that was the biggest thing. They could not score in that red zone they be Alabama. And that was, I think, the difference in the game. You know, to the kicker's point, he made a lot of kicks. But uh, you can't usually win championships just kicking kicking field goals in most cases. It was it was definitely a very good game. Nice to see the celebs come out to the championship game. But I, I just feel as if Georgia, to their point, they, they played better. I was glad. I didn't realize it was 40-plus years until the game was over that they won a championship. Georgia is one of the powerhouses out there. They don't usually win the championships, as you mentioned, all the time, but definitely are their team that people know of. You know, I know uh, Todd Gurley, Georgia alum, he's very happy probably that uh, they won. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, they, they just played better. And what are your thoughts on that? No, I mean, uh, you know, there's an old, uh, old thing that defense wins championships. And – I felt like coming in, these are two very evenly matched teams. They played each other just six weeks ago in the SEC championship game. And, you know, Alabama won. And it was basically, if you look at this game versus that game back in uh, early to mid-December, basically the exact same game. It just you flipped the, the results around. Um, Alabama had the, the better offense and better defense in that first matchup. You very rarely win the rematch. And I'll – mentioned my team as a beneficiary of that 25 years ago let's go back in our time machine here for a moment in 1996 steve spurrier had been at florida for let's see about that point seven seasons year before that florida was in the national championship game they played against uh, nebraska nebraska just took us behind the woodshed gave us a good beating and sent us on our way 63 to 21 i think was the final score so Florida plays Florida State. Florida's number one. Florida State's number two. They play each other uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Florida State wins the game. Florida at that point, because this was before the BCS had started, before the whole playoff thing we have now, Florida was, I think, ranked number three going into that Sugar Bowl that year. Florida State was still number one. So Florida had to get some help. I believe Arizona, or it might have been Arizona State, had to knock somebody off. So Florida plays Florida State in what's essentially dubbed as the rematch. I remember Bobby Bowden saying, why do I have to beat the same team twice to win a title? Florida manhandled Florida State in that game. They really dominated the second half. Final score, these are numbers I'll never forget, 52-20. to 20. Florida won its first national championship. Point being made here is these two teams just fought each other six weeks ago. So there's a lot of things that Georgia looked at, I'm sure, in the game film and some of the preparation they did that they didn't do right the first time around 
that they were able to correct in this game here Monday, and that's essentially what led to them being able to win. Yeah, I agree, because the thing about it is one thing that holds true that I have to give Marcus Floyd, you know, my good friend and <laughs> former NFL player, <laughs> he said, you know, I remember him telling me this a couple of years ago that it's always hard for a team to win a second time with against that same team. This being the pros or and this could be in collegiate sports. It's always harder when you play a team a second time around. And that, that's been holding true in most games that I've seen, 90-plus percentage, I would say. And this was a case because I feel as if if they never played each other, I feel as if Alabama wins the game. But the fact that they played each other, I think Georgia made the right adjustments to kind of do what they expect, especially with the defensive end of the play of the, the ball. And it showed in their preparation and their defense that they they held them out of the, the end zone. I mean, they did their part. and. Uh, you got to give Georgia credit. They just simply outplayed Alabama. I felt it was really shocking to see that from Nick Saban not not getting a another ring. But at the end of the day, you got to give Georgia credit. They they were a better team that day. Yeah, and this is the thing, you know, from from Nick Saban's perspective, you know, they they've lost a couple national championships over the years. They lost to Clemson a few years back um, in the title game. So this does happen. He's in a position – He, I mean, the, it, it's the way too early time to say this, but Alabama's probably going to be ranked number one when the season starts next year. Um, so it's not like this is, you know, the the swan song and everything is done and over with. Their position um, – I don't expect that anytime soon they're going to start losing traction there in recruiting and bringing up good players. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, they are so well stacked or stocked, however you want to word it, with talent that unless you have a key injury and in this game, they did have one with the receiver getting hurt. Once you have a key injury or a key loss somewhere on the line, you got other guys who are going to step up. I mean, look, uh, Jalen hurts. We talked about him being at Philadelphia earlier. He got injured in 20, I think it was 2017 when these two teams played each other, oddly enough, back then in the national championship game and Tua came in, do a touchdown in overtime and Alabama beat Georgia in that national title game. So it's just some, some, some days you're better than the opponent. Some days you're not better than the opponent. And it just so happened in this game, the one that mattered the most, Georgia was the better team. No, you're absolutely right. They, you know, you know, you can draw up the plays as much as you can, but there's some things you just can't plan on. You can't plan on you losing your, your number one receiver. Definitely wish him the best. Because there's a he lost uh, his ACL went out. That's just tough, and um, you're not gonna you know those things you just can't predict or plan on. And Georgia, you know, to their credit, they they play big, and you got to give them credit. I, I like to see sometimes to watch history. I would have never thought 41 years they didn't win a championship till that game I watched. So <laughs> you know, at least I got to see history. Yeah. It was uh, certainly certainly interesting. I know that uh, you know the, the state of Georgia hasn't had too much uh, to celebrate until this past year. So I guess from that side of things, definitely a, a big a big second congratulations to Braves, of course, back in uh, early November, and now Georgia here in uh, in uh, the first or second week rather of uh, January 2022. So definitely some good stuff there. And again, I expect both these teams to be really competitive. 
uh, again in uh, 2022 going forward. Um, a lot of things to talk about here. We've uh, knocked about uh, three quarters of it out here to this point. Uh, this is something that we had talked about uh, off air earlier in the week. In fact, it might have even been today. Um, Alan, this is uh, big news from Major League Baseball, really from the minor league side of things. The Tampa Bay Tarpons, that is the single A Florida State League affiliate of the New York Yankees, they have made history by hiring Rachel Balkovec as their manager, becoming the first uh, woman in uh, minor league baseball history to become a, a manager. So we kind of had discussed this off the air. I want to get your um, your thoughts on it. I, you know what, I, I have to say that I checked into her, you know, I checked into Rachel to to her background and, and things of that nature. I watched her press conferences about, man, they, I got to give her credit. It was almost an hour long that she had fielded questions and she sat in there and, and answered all their questions almost an hour long. But, you know, her resume speaks for itself. I mean, one thing I look at any hire, regardless of whether it's a female, male, is if you're qualified for the position. And after watching her press conference, she is definitely qualified for the position. And, you know, she has, you know, just let me just give you what I got from that press conference so that listening audience will kind of get an idea of who Rachel Balkovec is. She has uh, two master's degrees. She, which is very interesting, she has a bilingual she could, she's bilingual, but the thing about her, which is very unique, is that she's originally from Nebraska. She had learned another language in the last 10 years of being in the professional, you know, in baseball. So she wasn't born in another country and learned it. She learned it on her own. And there's a couple of words that she doesn't speak fluently, but she could speak another language, Spanish, very well, which is very impressive. She's a strength and conditioning coach. She uh, had several several internships, and um, throughout her collegiate career, she had a win or die learned learned attitude at a college level. She had six internships at several different other ball clubs. She actually had in three years during the time that the Astros had their drama, she was actually affiliated with the Astros as an intern. She went to uh, wait tables, then had an offer rescinded because during the time she was pretty much as she mentioned fat broke and she was waiting tables she actually got an offer for a job but they rescinded the offer because they found out because the head i guess the person who hired her said yes but the people above their head said no we're not going to hire female so she had you know she had to go back you know get excited and go back into the workforce again she actually had to change her name from Rachel to Ray to apply on a resume because that was her sister's idea just so that she could kind of get past the people just looking at her resume and say, nope, she's a female. And, um, you know, she's glad that she got discriminated against because that was her purpose. She had plenty of opportunities to get opportunities in softball college and other women's sports, but she decided not to. And, um, you know, when they flat out asked her for a female position, she said no, but she wanted, she used that as motivation to get hired. And, you know, I got to, I got to give her a lot, a lot, a lot of credit. This is what a quote she said to win, but win by making people better, 
humans by opening up their minds and hearts to being a better person and being a better teammate and creating that culture and to create the apple of sports. So having said all of that, I have to say I am very proud that she she got hired this position. I am not going to be one to say that from being a a person who is African-American. I've had to deal with discrimination for being black. I haven't had to deal with a, a gender discrimination, but discrimination, discrimination, nonetheless, she definitely have to do a research on her. She is definitely well overqualified, I have to say, for this position. And she got it. I am very happy for her. So I am not going to be one that's going to hate on her because she's a female. I would love to meet her myself. And she's right here in Tampa, right here. So I I definitely will try to reach out to her. I would have probably tried to reach out to her already. But as soon as the word came out, I looked at a following list. I don't know how she takes fame, but (laughs) it went from having like, 3,000 followers to over 52,000 followers and counting. Wow. One of them being Ken Griffey Jr. One of them being Ken Griffey Jr. follows her now. So it just goes to show you how overnight you can be a success. But I, I'm, I don't have an issue with it. At the end of the day, is I look at her as being a manager, as a supervisor. I've had to deal with female supervisors. I'm In my profession of sales, it was mostly men, men, men. Then much later in my career, I had to deal with females. If you can do the job and you can help someone get better, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's going to really care about whether you're male or female. But that is my my point of view on it. What are your? I know you have a little bit maybe different point of view. I don't know if you change your opinion, Aaron. But what are your thoughts on this? No, I think you you actually made some very good points uh, that I, I would underline here. Um, qualification for the job has nothing to do with uh, what your gender is or where you came from or any of that stuff really it's it's whether you can do the job and whether you've proven based on your past track record whether you can do the job so that's a hundred percent that's 150 percent correct I, I agree with that 100 percent um the things that i had pointed out to you in our personal conversation i think are more from a historical perspective of is the game of baseball ready for this um i can't answer that that's the game has to decide that itself uh, i think it's it certainly is very historic it's very interesting we saw the Marlins, uh, what, a year or two ago, make the first female hire of a Major League Baseball general manager. So um, I would say from that perspective, it's definitely ready. You know, we've seen what's happened there. Marlins haven't been successful yet. Uh, they did get into the playoffs a year ago in the COVID shortened 2020 season. So there's some success there. Um, but no, the other thing I'd underline too, though, is again, doesn't matter male or female, this is somebody who I admire because they have chased their dreams. They've chased their dreams down, and it may not be their ultimate dream in this position that she's received, but the historical significance of it is certainly terrific because now this signifies to everybody else who's like, well, I don't know if I want to pursue this because all these things are stacked against me. It opens that door. So I like that from a lot of different perspectives. Great thing about baseball is it is a you talked about her speaking multiple languages, uh, obviously English and of course Spanish. Those are the two main languages in the game of baseball um, because there's so much talent that comes from um, you know the Latin American world, and so that's a that's a big help right there. That's that's a huge thing to have on a resume anywhere, but especially in the pipeline of a major league baseball organization. So I, I definitely congratulate her for sticking to her. Uh, principles sticking to, you know, she could have probably, as you mentioned before, based on those 
things you were describing could have easily probably taken a job in the softball world or in a different route that she could have gone down. But she said, no, I'm going to stick to what I want to do. And she even swallowed her pride and went and waited tables. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. And a lot of times you don't end up getting what you think you're going to get in that profession. So for her to, to take 10 steps back in order to take a giant leap forward is definitely admirable. Uh, so this is a really, I actually would say this is a very neat thing that, that's happened here. Yeah. I think it's a great thing that baseball has done. They, they hired her on the merits of her qualifications because, yeah. you know, and what she said in her interview was that she was, her resume was, she, she said herself was very impressive, but because, you know, someone had leveled with her, Hey, we're not going to hire you because you're female. And it wasn't the person who was hiring her. He said above her, he said, they were like, no, you know, and they were like, they just won't hire a woman. And he basically leveled with her told her, you know, at least, you know, she gave him credit for, for saying that, but it just goes to show you that, you know, there are some stereotypes and there are some people who will get in your way of getting to that next level. Even if you haven't done anything wrong, she, she obviously, just hearing her resume, I was like, wow, most men do not have this type of resume. I mean, let's just be frank. Two master's degrees, about six internships, worked three years for the Astros, and it just goes on and on and on. And learned a language in 10 years. I mean, it's very impressive, you know, but it just goes to show you she's a strength. Uh, her, her background is strength and conditioning. She has done uh, coaching throughout her career, not at the manager level in minor leagues this is the first time but she's managed players they used to she's used to deal with players on a day-to-day basis deal with personalities so she's pretty much got the gist of the job down this was kind of like a historic thing that she became the manager but it it, it i definitely think uh she's going to do great things i support her and i'm, I'm very excited about uh, meeting rachel and you know getting to know her for the tampa Star- Tarpons, for those who don't know, that is the minor league affiliate of the, the Yankees. So she's very close to us. And, um, you know, I did see some of the negative comments. She, she even said it herself. She has seen some of the negative comments already. And she's going to probably continue to get those, you know, people who, because she's a female, because of tradition, she, you know, she did open up doors. So with the good comes in the bad. She sounds prepared for it. She, she's a very competitive woman. So she used that as motivation. But I, you know what? I look at it like this. She's qualified. She got the position. She's a female, yes. But if you can help players get better, that is going to be the biggest thing. And I, I definitely, the feel that I got from her is that she can. And, you know, it begs the question, like, why didn't someone do this earlier? Like, she had an impressive resume. She had all these job opportunities, all those other all those other organizations had a chance to hire her and got this spotlight, but they chose not to because she's a female. I have, you know, I have, I have two girls. You have your girl yourself. You know, it, it begs the question, how would, if the table turned out, how would someone feel if their daughter didn't get a position because of their gender? No, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's a question that uh, certainly is, society needs to take a look at i agree with that 100 um, percent you know how this didn't happen sooner you know someone had to be brave and be the first one to, to stand up and do it so that, that definitely again 
a lot of things to admire, all the things you've mentioned on her resume. And for the Yankees organization to be the first one uh, to hire a, a field coach, I'm not sure if there's any other coaches out there in the minor minor league side of things that are female. But, you know, this is definitely a first. So uh, definitely interesting. And you mentioned before, hopefully we can get her on the program. I think it would be a very neat thing for us to, to be able to speak to her and, and get her, um, you know, her uh, take on how everything has gone. Yeah, that that would be uh, definitely a great interview. And, you know, that, that's, that's kind of crazy how you have such an impressive resume and then someone – because your name is Rachel, won't even give you a call. <laughs> you change it to Ray, and then the phones are ringing off the hook. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's nuts. And that was her sister's idea. She did it because prior to that, nobody would even give her a call back, ever. And, wow, I mean, you know, it just, it just shows you as, as, as a country, we need to do better. We need, we really need to do better. Like, are you just not going to even ignore someone's resume because they're female? Like, really? This girl is overqualified to be the manager of the of the, of the Yankees. Not to put down being a minor league mate, mate, uh, manager, but come on. Her resume is just ridiculous. So I congratulate Rachel for doing what she had to do to get the position. Love to talk to her. And, and one last point I want to make about Rachel, too. A lot of people just – the end result they go to instagram she's got 50 plus thousand followers now if you look at her instagram before that i looked at it it, it only had about three or four thousand and now she got king griffey jr following her and all these you know i'm sure big wigs but the point i want to make is a lot of times people look at the end game your success but they never look at their process rachel went through this interview and she during a press conference fully established and laid out in a timeline her process and the process was a lot of bumps in the road she was broke as she said had to ask her family money this is after having a master's degree i commend her for going through the process and she could have got other things that she didn't want she knew what she wanted so kudos to her people need to understand that there's a process to success don't just look at the end game look at the process Always remember that people, when they get to success, they had to go through a process. And I got to give her credit for that. She went through the process. No, that's absolutely right. And that's that the, the interesting thing about you saying that is she is in a position where, you know, the hard thing about being a minor league manager, I, I've never managed a baseball team, obviously, but the hard thing about being a manager in the minor leagues that I would probably speculate on if I was talking to someone who was a minor league manager or who had been one is your whole job is to develop those players. So just like you mentioned the process, these are guys that their, their goal isn't to stay playing at the, the high A level. They want to go to double AA, A, triple A, and eventually the major leagues. So as a minor league manager, I would just imagine if we were speaking to her right now, or speaking to someone who maybe has managed to at least a year of, 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 uh, of minor league baseball at this point, you're going to have players who are going to come and play for you that the parent club is telling you before they even play their first game, this guy's only going to be with your team for 10 games and we're moving them up. The, so now you have, yeah. now, now it's hard, it's hard enough to manage the game just on the field and put together a lineup. And especially if you're in a rut and you, you've not hit for three games, 
you're not scoring any runs. Now you, you add to that the chaos of, well, I'm going to have this guy for 10 games. Big league club is going to send him a trip, uh, to double A next. So I got to get the most out of this guy for those 10 games. Also, I got to not mismanage him and not get him hurt because I might lose my job if that happens. So those are all those factors you got to think about. And then you think about also, too, a lot of times when a guy's on like a rehab assignment from the big leagues, single A ball is one of the one of the places they a lot of times will go on a rehab assignment. So you might suddenly go from, you know, four or 500 people attending a game in Tampa, you know, on a, any given night to, you know, I remember when Roger Clemens was uh, with the Yankees many years ago on a rehab assignment, had gone down to, to single A ball and the media and the 10,000 people who wanted to see Roger Clemens pitch showed up. So you've got all these factors that come in. I would say it's almost probably harder to manage at the minor league level than the big league level. Cause once you're at the big league level, there's no higher you can go. So I think it'll be neat to put together a questionnaire list like that when we do speak to her. And I think those will be the things that'll, that'll probably be said, um, you know, just from that perspective of, of players coming up and, and disappearing really quickly. Yeah, and you're right. You brought up a great point that not only do you have to manage guys getting, you know, coming in, but you're right, especially in Tampa. One of the cool things about being in Tampa is that you can have somebody in major leagues who, like, gets on assignment. A-Rod, when he had a, was on the disabled list, he hung out in Tampa with the minor league team a lot. So it's always cool that you get a chance to not only deal with the guys that are in minor leagues, but as you mentioned, you may have somebody who's already up the ladder come down to visit you. It's nice that Rachel will be able to use those people that come in, you know, maybe on a week or two weeks. Even Derek Jeter had to put a little stint there, not for a long period of time, but he was here for disabled list. They could use that player to motivate the minor league team, you know. And uh, one thing about being a, a manager in the minor leagues, it's not easy. Guys don't get paid millions of dollars in the minor leagues. They normally don't have that type of resume. It's usually, you know, they're, they're eating ramen noodles because you're not really getting paid money like that, but yet you got to produce on a field and you got to stay positive. She did say her, her style is uh, being direct and also being uh, giving you the expectation level. So, you know, I, I mean, that's what I like. You don't want somebody who's going to tell you something in your face and then say something behind your back. You want somebody who's going to give you the instant feedback and be just straightforward with you. Hey, if I was playing minor league baseball, I would love for her to be my manager. So I would have no complaints. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. A yeah. couple, of, couple of great things. Uh, you know, obviously we talked about baseball here for a while, and we're right around the corner from hopefully things getting kicked off. There's been some uh, talk here, some dialogue between the players' union and the league in the last uh, 24 hours or so, seems like they are putting the groundwork together for a new collective bargaining agreement. I'm hoping, I know you're hoping too, that there is no disruption in spring training or any of the other uh, parts to how the normal spring goes. One thing you talked about the Yankees there, former Yankee uh, outfielder Melky Cabrera actually announced his retirement today. Which I'll be honest with you, I thought he'd retired a few years ago, but you know, sometimes it goes guys want to give it a few extra years, see if anybody gives them uh, an opportunity to maybe make a team out of spring training. Uh, evidently for him, it did not uh, happen, so he has uh, announced his retirement. 
Um, played for the Yankees, the Braves, White Sox, and a couple other clubs during his, I think he was in the league for about 12 years. Um, yeah. That's a big news. That's big news. Yeah, yeah. I saw that uh, popped up here a couple hours ago. Um, I'm trying to remember when the last year he played was. In fact, uh, looking at it right now, I think his last year in the league was 2018, if I'm not mistaken, but I'll, I'll double-check that here. Another uh, another subject I wanted to bring up here, uh, this is something that came to my attention um, earlier today. Um, you know, I'm just like anybody else who's a sports fan. I'll watch, you know, SportsCenter, NFL Network, MLB Network. There hasn't been a whole lot of baseball stuff to talk about because of the lockout right now. There's a lot of speculation going on, and it's kind of like the water building up behind the dam. Once the lockout ends, the dam breaks, everything starts happening again, player movement begins, trades, free agent signings, and so on and so forth. There are some small things that do still happen. Minor league signings are still okay. Um, Also tomorrow, which is uh, January 15th, begins the – international free agent signing period. And what that basically is, that is the period of time where players from pretty much anywhere else in the world other than the United States, so it could be guys from, from the Dominican Republic, uh, anywhere in the Latin America area, um, guys from you know Australia or New Zealand or South America, Venezuela, uh, any other South American country for that matter, guys that are you know 16 and up, usually it's between 16 and 19, can sign just like they were a free agent, but they're not going to get the, the A-Rod money, if you will. They're going to get the the signing bonuses. And so the speculation has been building for the last probably 10 years now. They changed some rules a few years ago to where teams only had a certain amount of money they could spend as a bonus towards a player. And – you look at the Braves as an example. I think it was in 2017. They actually got penalized quite heavily because they were breaking the rules that were in place where they had a handshake agreement with a kid that was 15. They said, hey, we'll give you this money just as long as you agree to uh, come play for us next year when you're 16 and you're eligible to sign. Braves had some penalties for a number of years. There's been a handful of other clubs that did something similar to that too that also got in trouble. The thought has been – and it never really crossed my mind until today, should there be an international draft just like there is a first-year player draft? And I really think it's actually a benefit and a fairness to teams to be able to, to have a, an international draft because every team, all 30 teams, would have the same potential for being able to draft a player from, let's say, the Dominican Republic or from – Puerto Rico, or you know, any name, name a place they could be from, and it makes it a little bit more fair. It's more of an even playing field. So I want to get your take on this. This is not something we've really talked about much in the past, but player development is the key to building a successful team, no matter what sport you're in. No, I, I definitely would be for it. I definitely think it's anytime you have a chance to showcase talent overseas it will make Major League Baseball better. And the reason why I say that because I'm a firm believer in diversity. The more people that you open your doors to, usually the better your organization is going to be. And that's going to be the same with baseball. I like to see a draft, an international draft, because it will bring more heightened attention to players that are overseas. 
you know, and it gives them a chance to come over here, play. We get we get a lot of players that kind of deflect from their home country to come to the state. So, hey, why not give them an early opportunity to come over here, see what they can do, build a, a lifestyle here in the States. So I think it's a great idea. I would be for it. Yeah, I think to be clear on this, just so there's no confusion, this would not uh, uh, be combined with the normal first-year player draft that we have now, where most of those players are either from the United States or from Canada. This is a completely separate separate deal. The way it had run up until probably 2010, 2008, somewhere in there, was teams could delegate $10 million a year if they wanted to or more to their international budget. And you go back to the 80s and even into the 90s, players like Andrew Jones or Javi Lopez or Pedro Martinez signed with their respective clubs from their home countries and they got a signing bonus. And there was really no governing body over how much they were spending or even if there were really any rules in place other than the rule of, you know, they had to be at least age 16 or older. Um, And so they put very, very big restrictions on it a few years back and basically put a cap on how much a team could spend per year. If they went anywhere over that cap, they were penalized the next year for what they could spend. The problem that didn't go away, though, is we don't know whether – I'm not going to name a team just because I don't want to single anybody out, but we don't know whether a team has been um, talking to a kid who's 15, a kid who's not technically eligible to to sign yet. So – you, for the most part, can eliminate that problem by having a draft. And what you also do at the same time is you make it fair so that every team gets a chance to pick a player. There'll, there'll be rankings out there on these players just like there is for the regular draft. And I think to make things even more interesting, if you have the ability to trade those draft picks, trade the, the slot money that you would have used to, to, to spend on those guys, you can make it even more interesting. And I think it creates a lot more speculation too. That's the great thing about baseball. You know, we get into to mid July and what are we hearing about all summer long? The hot stove, you know, who, who's going to get traded at the deadline? Who's going to, who's going to be that impact player that's going to get moved to, to, you know, the Yankees. It's going to help them make their playoff run. So I think if you do something like that, it really gives more things to talk about, more, more interesting stories. And, I'll be honest with you, I followed the international signings for a long, long time. There's some great talent that comes out of there. You look at some of the great players like Miguel Cabrera or Miguel Sano, or as I mentioned, some of the older school guys like Pedro Martinez. If it wasn't for the international signings, we may have never seen these guys that are Hall of Fame players. No, you're right about that. And I definitely think that's why diversity is so great to have. And the more you increase that, the better your your talent pool will be. And you're right. You know, inter, you know, guys that are overseas, guys from Dominican Republic, from Cuba, Puerto Rico, these guys can play some baseball. I mean, it, it's remarkable what they can do, and they learn baseball at a very young age. They hit bottle caps, and they they go out there and they love baseball. So give them an opportunity. I'm always in favor, like, hey, you know what, just like, like Rachel, somebody had to take a chance and give her an opportunity. Let's see what she could do. Somebody had to take a chance on Jackie Robinson. Let's see what he could do. You got to be willing to give the people an opportunity because you'll, you'll never have a Jackie. You'll never have a Rachel. If someone's not willing to step out there and be a little different. 
I think it's a great idea that you have. And I think things like this will help Major League Baseball. But first and foremost, they need to get rid of this lockout. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm hoping very much so on that because, uh, you know, 2020 was obviously a rough year. He had spring training basically shut down right in the middle of, of the season. And then last year, first time I can remember that I went to so few games during the spring. I went to two games the entire spring, which some people are happy to maybe go to one a year. I, I somehow was managed to get to two because there was such limited seating and tickets available. And a lot of the tickets that were available were basically, you know, give your left arm for, and I'm not quite willing to do that. So hopefully this year is, uh, is back on. We have some good news here in the next couple of weeks to report on. And I will be definitely spending some time at the ballpark during the weekend. Yeah, I'm going to definitely make an effort to come down to the, the ballpark to myself. Definitely got more motivation to meet Rachel. And I definitely just hope that they – I'm positive that they're going to come to an agreement, Major League Baseball, and, and not have any lockout where it's going to affect games. But as a fan, this is frustrating that it has to go to this extent and to put you know, the season at risk. You've had time off. You've seen what happened during the pandemic. You start. You had to kind of work around that. You got guys on the field, and you're still disputing about how much money you can make. It's just, it's just, how much money? How much is enough? Like, okay, you may have to have this. Is what I'm getting from Major League Baseball, you may have to have a salary cap or what have you. But I mean, come on, you're making millions of dollars. Somebody's got to to say, okay, when's enough enough? I hope they come to agreement. I hope this deal gets closed and they have baseball start at the regular time. But as a fan, it's just frustrating. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that, that, well, that point here? And I agree with you 100% there. You know, I look at the timeline. You go back to 1994, um, August 19th to be more specific in 1994. That was the end of the baseball season. The strike started then, and it went far enough that they ended up canceling the rest of the season and, of course, canceling the playoffs. And that was very devastating. And I think it took Major League Baseball a long time to get back to the popularity where the fans were, were willing to come out and spend money and go to the ballpark. I think the, the two events that I got to witness firsthand, thankfully, that really brought Major League Baseball back were Cal Ripken breaking the streak in 95 and then three years later, the, uh, the great home run chase in 98 between Sammy Sosa uh, Mark McGuire, and of course, Griffey was in there at one point as well. Um, I, I would hope that Major League Baseball, granted none of these guys were playing way back in, in the 90s, I would hope that they've learned their lesson from the, the horrible PR they got from uh, from those events back in, in the 90s. I also think, too, came awfully close in 2002 to having a strike, and you know, I think the players at the end of the day looked at where we were as a country at that point. We were like a year removed from 9-11 having happened. And, you know, obviously Tom Glavin, who's a, a player that I followed for his, basically his entire career, he was the, the player's representative from Atlanta. And I remember him saying, like, look, we need to really think about, you know, what our country's been through in the last year and is, is – our sport shutting down, really helping. Are, are we are we shooting ourselves in both of our feet at this point? So, so I would hope that the the 
powers that be get it through their mind that if you screw this up, this could this could permanently damage Major League Baseball's reputation. And it may not be something that lasts a hundred years, but it'll definitely last the rest of this generation and maybe into the next one. So they, they've they've got about a month to get it right, or it's going to cause permanent damage, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and that's the thing about baseball. As, as a person who, who loves baseball, that is frustrating. They find something great to do, hiring, hiring Rachel, and then they're going to have a lockout at the same time. You know, it's like, it's just one of those things that they just can't get on the, the same page. But I am positive that they are going to get a deal done before it affects games. They did have a talks this week, which is always a step in the right direction, that they're at least coming to the table again. So I am positive they're going to do that and uh, work in the right direction. And I'll, I'll kind of sentiment what um, I also want to thank two of our guests that came on this week, Rick Curdy for the Charlotte Bats. Let me talk about him first. I did want to sentiment his thoughts that in our interview, he said, you know, what is enough enough? Like how much money do you need to be happy? And he's hoping that the same thing that this lockout ends you can check out that interview that we had, and and I'll also put up on our Facebook page a link that if you guys want to support Rick Curdy and the Charlotte Bats of opening a baseball team in Charlotte, definitely um, I'll put that on there for you guys to to register your, your thoughts on it and uh, sign the petition. It's less than 15 seconds to sign. It doesn't cost anything. It's free. But your thoughts, what are your thoughts, Aaron, on a baseball team maybe in Charlotte? Well, I think that, um, you know, it's been 20, what, 24 years now since baseball last expanded. Uh, you had the, the Marlins and the Rockies in 93, uh, the Rays and the Diamondbacks in 98. And I think ultimately the goal is to get to, I think it's 36 teams is what the ultimate goal is. So there's six teams that are still out there that are, you know, ready to be created. Uh, ultimately, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a perfect number because you can have um, the division set up with six teams in each division, three divisions in each league. So six times six being 36, that would definitely be a good thing there. Um, Rob Manfred, who I personally don't care for, we'll get into that discussion another time. I don't think he's done the best job as a commissioner, but that's a whole other sermon for a different day. Um, he basically came out a few years ago and said, well, you know, we do want to expand. Expansion takes, take, uh, takes time and it takes money. Um, I don't know what the cost is going to be now, but I think the last I heard an expansion team is going to cost about a billion dollars for an owner to put together. That's the fee to get them into the league. So the two hurdles that mostly are going to have to be overcome first are you've got Oakland, who is looking for a new ballpark, whether it's going to be in Oakland, in Vegas, or somewhere in between. And then you've got Tampa Bay, who we've had this discussion a couple times on the show. They're also in the process of looking at building a new ballpark. And Rob Manfred basically said this, and I agree with him on this point. Those two teams, we need to take care of that, that first. We need to get the stadium situations cleared up first prior to bringing in any new clubs. I think that Charlotte is definitely a good market. I mean – you, you really think about how the East has changed, Southeast rather, has changed in the last 25 years. You go back to the early 90s, and the only team in the Southeast was the Braves. Now you've got the yeah. Marlins, of course, and the, and, the, and the Rays. And to a lesser degree, the Nationals, I guess it's kind of in the 
somewhat southeast region. It's close enough to it at least to, to say it's nearby. Um, I want to know your thoughts on some other markets, though. I know it's great to have uh, Charlotte as a possibility. What are the other markets that, that, that may make sense? Well, on on Manfred's uh, short list, let me give you the, the teams. It was Montreal. He, he said uh, this is the short list of the, the place that he would designate two teams, Montreal, Nashville, Las Vegas, Portland, and Charlotte. And there was one other. San Antonio, yeah, that, maybe? No. Um, it was, it was, I believe it was in Montreal too. In not in Canada. I'm sorry, in Montreal also. Montreal, Canada, but there was another place. I'll pull it up here. But that was on a short list. So Charlotte mm-hmm. is on the short list. So, uh, you know, he narrowed it down from about 14 down to the five or six. And I, I just think Nashville, Tennessee will probably, as I told, and I would have to even kind of got from from Rick that it's going to be hard to take Nashville off that list as being one of the two. And the reason why is because they have a background from the Negro Leagues mm-hmm. back in the 1930s to the 50s, the Nashville Stars. So, yeah, I've already I, heard uh, there's a group that has put together Nashville Stars is actually what I was going to bring up there. I believe um, to those who follow either rock music from the 1990s, which uh, I know I do for sure, and then country music in the um, – today's world uh, Darius Rucker who is a great singer great songwriter uh, he has actually been a big part of the development and putting together the organizational side of things with the National Stars so that's something I do think is going to happen they'll, they'll definitely I believe be in the next expansion in the next 10 years or so yeah and, and, and Rick pretty much and I would have to agree based on the research that I've done I would have to find it hard to to believe that they would not include Nashville as the as one of the two, because they just seem like to have a leg up, and because of the history with the Negro Leagues, I think that's going to be very attractive mm-hmm. to Major League Baseball. And I think they're going to probably choose. It was Vancouver, by the way. It was Vancouver. The other oh, location. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. It was in Canada. I was like, I know it was in Canada, but I just couldn't think, think of the, <laughs> lo- the the location. It's in Vancouver. But those six places are the the short list. I did see, and Charlotte, I think, has a good shot. They they have a minor league team. We'll see, 2014 to 2018, they led for the five seasons in attendance with the Charlotte Knights. There was an, an article which I brought up to Rick Curdy from the Charlotte Bats, and uh, Ben Verlander did an article. He His top five choices was, number one was Nashville, Number two, he had Montreal, Canada. Number three, he, he voted Vegas. Number four, he had Charlotte. And number five, he had Portland, Oregon. But uh, after I did the research, I think Charlotte is a very, very good place because there really isn't much around as far as baseball teams. And it would be uh, – they are they are up-and-coming city. They don't have a, a baseball – major league baseball team. They do have minor league. So I, I think it's a good fit. I, I think I think it's it's a very good fit. I, I I can see it happening. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of time at this point. It's it's the league being willing to 
expand again, which again, I think we're still probably a good eight to 10 years away from. Um, but I think it, in the, the grand plan, I think in the next 20 years is to have a total of 36 teams in major league baseball. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I've been to Vancouver. It's a very, very nice city in Canada. It's beautiful. But the only thing is when I look at Montreal and I look at Vancouver, I just think of international baseball because it's over, it's not overseas, but it's in another country. You see it? So, yeah. And especially with the Rays doing kind of like a hybrid, I think for them to have those two teams here in the States makes even more sense. So I, I definitely do think I could see Nashville and Charlotte getting the vote to, to go ahead yeah. and be the next two expansion teams. I did want to get your thoughts on that, Aaron. You know, I know the mayor made a lot of comments this week and even – you know, Dickie V made a comment that if, if the Rays do do the hybrid with the Canada and play games at home, that he's going to forfeit his, his season tickets. For those people who don't know, he has he sits in a black seats, very nice seats, season ticket holder. But he, Dick Vitale said, basically, if they do the hybrid, he's out. And the mayor spoke this week, too, that, you know, she's trying to keep the team from basically going to – Canada to play the other half of the games. What are your thoughts on the Rays in their situation? Well, I I, I think this is I, I really think this is a, a negotiating tool more than anything else. Here's the thought: Montreal already had a team, and if they get another team in an expansion, that's a different situation. Of course, they already had a team that was there from 1969 until 2004. They could never get a new ballpark built. That's the whole reason they moved. Major League Baseball actually purchased the Montreal Expos in either 2001 or 2002, and they owned them until they were the Nationals in, I think it was 2009 or 2010. And so an an, an unsuccessful franchise that the league actually owned, they couldn't get a new ballpark. And here we are nearly 20 years later, and we've got a, a team that's actually very successful in Tampa. Unfortunately, they don't seem to draw in a lot of fans. They're actually the second lowest drawing team in the league. And they're talking about putting that team half the time here, half the time there. It just doesn't seem like a recipe for success overall. Now you're taking a team and you're basically giving them half of what they would have had before. I don't think that the idea is a good idea. I don't think it works. I don't think it, 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 it what do you call the team? There, there's no, there's no Rays in Montreal. There's no Expos in Tampa. Um, what, what happens if the team makes the playoffs? Who gets those playoff games? So there's a lot of weird things. I think the biggest thing would be, okay, a team's playing their games in Canada part of the year. How do those players get paid? Are they getting paid Canadian money? Are they getting paid American money? Or is it split somehow? So there's a lot of questions I think come up there. I think ultimately what this is is a, a scare tactic to the idea that the Tampa Bay market could lose this team if people aren't willing to find some way, whether it's the traditional let's burden the taxpayers of the new stadium or let's get a bunch of business owners on board with footing the bill for a new ballpark. Ultimately, I think what's going to happen, I think it's going to come out of nowhere. I think we're going to not really see it coming. I think ultimately in the next year or so, there's going to be an announcement that some sort of an agreement has been reached. They're going to build a new ballpark somewhere in Tampa I've heard Ybor City. I've heard over by Ray, Raymond James Stadium. 
that's going to be the permanent home for the Rays. They'll stay in Tampa. They won't play home, home games anywhere else. I think that's ultimately what's going to happen. But I think they're using this as a, as a negotiating tool to force the hand of the people in Tampa. Because if they lose the Rays, look, Montreal probably doesn't deserve a team again because of what happened the last time around. Poor ownership had a little bit of a part in that. But if Tampa loses a team, they'll never get a team back. If that, if that ever happens, they will not get a team a second time. No, I agree with you on that. I definitely do think if Tampa does lose a team or if they do a hybrid, I think a lot of the fan base is going to check out. I think that's going to be the reality of the situation. Yes, you're going to, you're going to maybe get some fans to come see you in Montreal, but at the end of the day, your fans here are going to be really upset. A lot of sponsors are going to be upset. So it's going to be a, you're going to win some, you're going to lose a lot too. And I do agree with you on that. If, they do decide to close up shop and they lose a team in Tampa, I don't see a team coming back because they'll always have that argument. Well, when we were here, you didn't really support us. You know, I, I think, and I even brought up that, that point to Rick Curdy that it's always nice that when you have a good team come in or a team, but nobody here, nobody wants to pay for it. You understand? Like, it's a great idea, but, you know, when you start talking about, okay, you're going to get taxed a little bit because of this, you know, you're going to get crickets. Nobody wants to pay for it. So I think you're right. I do think this is somewhat of a, of a marketing negotiation tool, but at the same token, it, you're kind of threaded on thin ice because it's a way to kind of irritate the fan base that you do have supporting you too. So you have to be mindful of that as well. I know that the owner has been lobbying for a new stadium. And I think people in Tampa Bay need to support their team a little bit more. You need it. All right, it's a drive, but go out there to support your team. If you really want to watch them play, you don't want to relieve. The biggest way to support somebody is financially. You understand? You can say you want to be a fan, but if you don't support me, you don't give me no money or you don't donate or whatever, you don't buy tickets, how am I going to survive? Yeah. Well, it's going to be a tricky. It's going to be a tricky situation because the one thing that pretty much is a guarantee will not happen with the Rays situation is they're not going to get any public money to build a new ballpark. It's going to have to be come from private, private donations, private businesses. That's really the only way this is going to happen. It's pretty much been assured that at least in the Tampa area, St. Pete might be a little bit of a different story. But again, I, in my in my opinion, if you build a stadium in St. Pete, yeah, you might have a better ballpark, more amenities, newer technology, and all the stuff that goes along with that. But you're still in the same spot you're in. You're you're not you're not putting the ballpark in a better location, and people are going to come to the, the the newer, neater thing also when it's located in a better better spot. Majority of the Tampa Bay Rays fans live on the bay. Tampa Bay side of the bay. And so if you can build a ballpark, maybe it's a little bit smaller seating capacity wise, that's closer to the main fan base, then people will show up. And here, here's why I say that, that that's hundred percent true. You have a lot of people who live pretty close to Tropicana field right now in St. Pete that are big time race fans and they don't go to the games. So, you know, <laughs> if you're not going to the games and they're right in your backyard, you're not going to show up to them when they're on the other side of the bay. That's where more of the fans are anyways. So 
Yeah, and that's my point. It's like, you know, as frustrating as I am, I'm like, okay, well, you need to support your team. Like, if you don't want them to leave, they're not going to – they're going to – there's a good chance they're going to leave if you just say you're a fan and you don't show up or support them financially, buying tickets, going to the game, buying their jerseys. This is what – you know, this is what a major league team needs to support themselves. They need revenue. So – I don't think the I think the Rays actually tickets are priced are actually very very competitive, so it's not like it's not affordable for most cases. You know, of course, everybody's financial situation is different, but overall, if you go to a early game or you look for their specials, you know, definitely, yeah. I don't think it's really out of place. You know, go see your team. I'll just I'll tell you this: I went to I don't know two or three games over the summer this past year. And there was one, I want to say it was in September, might've been late August against Detroit. And I think the ticket sale, it was like $7 a ticket or something like that. I mean, it's unheard of to see tickets that low. So, you know, it's fun to go out there. It's fun to support. Um, and, and just major league baseball games are fun to go to. So, so I, w- I would hope that uh, people change on that. I don't think that'll happen. I don't think people are going to suddenly just, hear me say that and be like, Oh, you know, I should do that. You know, other people have been saying that for years, so it's not going to change just because I said it, but I think that the sentiment is right there. You know, if you want to keep this team in the area, you've got to support it in some way, shape or form. Right. You will got to support the team. If you don't want them to leave because, um, you know, they need, they need to get their money. These guys are, they don't get paid millions of dollars just because, you know, and a lot of the Rays don't get paid Big, big. I mean, they get some of them get millions, but out of all the teams, they have probably less guys making those big checks. I'll say yep. it like that. But you got to support the team, and I, I really, I, I would be one of the people that would be upset if they did leave. I mean, the hybrid situation may not affect me as much because they still would be here, but I could see a lot of people being affected by that. And like you, to your point if you play half the season games in Montreal, then what happens during the playoff times? Then what are you going to play one there, some here? It gets kind of complicated. Yeah, I also don't think it's such a good precedent for future teams, too. You know, I get the marketing side of it for sure. There's no question that the marketing side of it makes sense um, because you have more exposure in two different markets. But, you know, what does this do for other franchises? That That's where I think the complication starts to come in. Do you start allowing this for a bunch of other teams too? And before you know it, you look at a map and you're like, I don't even know where, where any of these places are kind of thing. So I don't like it. I think it's a bad idea. I think it's basically you one foot on a banana peel, the other on a grave, if you will. Um, <laughs> I think it spells doom. And it really pits two cities against each other too. Think about it that way. Um, you know, and, and here's the biggest point I'll make. In 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 both cities, you've had you had problems for years. The reason why the Expos left in the first place is because you couldn't get you couldn't get an agreement on building a new ballpark. You couldn't get the funding for it. Same thing has basically been the case in Tampa for the last 15 years or so. And so now you want to take two cities and split time between two cities that neither one want to build you a new ballpark in. This doesn't add up. Doesn't make sense. That, that, that's the thing I'd really underscore. Yeah, and that's something they need to work on, and I hope they come to an agreement. Because I would be one of the people that would be upset if they did leave. 
I really love what the Rays are doing. They, they first people said they were not competitive. Now they are competitive. After a couple of years of being competitive, now nobody wants to come to the games. I, I just can't <laughs> wait for losing, you know. <laughs> but we'll, we will definitely see. And um, I definitely wanted to also thank Barry Michaels for coming on this earlier this week too. You, if you haven't done so already, watch our interview and also watch a Melbourne story, a documentary he's featured in. Definitely, it's a great, great uh, watch. You get to learn about Barry Michaels too. But yeah, we, I definitely wanted to thank those two gentlemen that came on during the week. Is there any other thoughts you had? No, this is uh, this has definitely been a great week uh, sports-wise. Uh, I think that uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about next week, given that the first uh, round of the NFL playoffs will be over with. So anything else you care to add tonight? Yeah, I definitely am a, you know, want to wish uh, Rachel Balkovic congratulations on the hire. We all get in the job, persevering. And I, I definitely also want to thank the fans of the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. We've had uh, quite a few likes, and we've had uh, quite a few people make comments on uh, some of the place that we've shared our information to about the interviews and people, fans who have been watching the interviews. I know that they don't always comment or like on it, but they have been watching interviews. I want to thank them for doing that. And also, you know, our guests for being on the show. I want to thank Lou as well. And like you said, we'll have a lot more things to talk about next week during the playoffs. And I'm excited to see what happens. Yep, as am I, and I know that our fans are certainly uh, excited about it as well. So I want to thank Lou for coming on here and spending some time with us tonight. Uh, again, uh, definitely hope you have a chance to tune into his program here uh, tomorrow night. Uh, I believe it's between 5 and 7 Eastern time there from yep. New Jersey, as, uh, as he corrected me on earlier. Um, and uh, we'll have another great show next week. So for Lou and for Alan, this is Aaron signing off here on the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast. Have a great evening, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Evan Aaron's Post Talk Podcast. Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.